Welcome to Tax Break, a podcast on the tax law brought to you by the lawyers at Miller & Chevalier. I'm Steve Dixon, a tax litigator with Miller & Chevalier. As usual, I'm joined by my colleague, international tax and tax policy expert, Lauren Pons. Hey, Lauren. Hi, Steve. How are you? All right. So we are recording this on Monday, April 5th. And we had slated this recording time last week when the White House released or outlined its Made in America tax plan, right, in in their fact sheet. And we thought, well, that's a great topic for the pod and one that our listeners will want to hear about. So let's let's get something recorded. And it turns out that our timing was pretty fortuitous because just today, the Senate Finance Committee released a document on overhauling international taxation, which picks up many of the same themes and provides sort of a different take on them. So today we're going to cover, in a, I, I hope, a pretty short episode, we're going to cover uh, both of these items, and maybe maybe in what you might call a Biden and Widen <laughs> tax rodeo roundup. Or That's right. That's right. Something it's like going to be a, a lightning round of, of potential tax changes. Uh, The idea behind Tax Break is to provide listeners with some perspective on select tax issues that we think are interesting. We want to go deeper than what's in the tax press, but stay sufficiently high level so our listeners can follow along without a copy of the regs, or in this case, the White House's fact sheet or or the Wyden Senate finance doc in front of them. As always, first, a disclaimer, Tax Break is not intended to be legal advice, and you cannot rely on it as legal advice. Its content reflects only the thoughts and opinions of its hosts or guests. And we don't have any guests today. It's just the two of us. So uh, so let's kick this off with uh, the, the White House document. And the first thing I think we have to kind of knock out of the way is that we now have it in writing that the White House wants to move the corporate tax rate to 28%. Right. So this is the official um, affirmation of what of what President Biden campaigned with on the trail. He proposed 28 percent. And here we have the administration's document uh, endorsing that rate. And that will be their starting point. Uh, for the and I, I, I think you've gone on the record before saying while you expect an increase, you don't expect it to be up to 28 percent, I think. I think I, I think I pinned you down at like 25 before. <laughs> you may or may not have pinned me down at 25. I, I, don't, I don't, I mean, this is the starting point and we'll see where they end up. But um, 28 to me sounds um, pretty high, but, you know, there are some significant expenditures that have come along with these tax proposals. So the infrastructure package, which um, is the bulk of this, of the, um, the plan that the White House released um, will cost a lot of money. And so it remains to be seen to what extent these um, expenditures will be paid for with tax revenue. But but there is a significant amount of money on the table. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point, something we should mention. I mean, the, this, this tax plan comes at the end of a almost 30-page document. It's just the last few pages of a 30-page document, all of which is devoted to, uh, to infrastructure. Right. Um, one of the things that, that the White House mentions here is that this this plan, and I think this is talking about the plan broadly, but it says we'll return corporate tax revenue as a share of the economy to around its 21st century average 
from before the 2017 tax law and well below where it stood before the 1980s. I thought that was kind of an interesting and strange rhetorical device for the White House to pull out to talk about A, sort of how much corporate tax represents as a share of the economy, not even not even of the fisc, right, of the economy. Right, right. And and then to compare it not only to before 2017, which was obviously a dramatic decrease, but also where it stood before the 1980s, right? I mean, here we're talking about sort of prior to the 1986 uh, change in the law. So I, th I, I don't know if you have any reaction to that. I thought that was sort of a, a, an, an odd rhetorical device and one that for a document that's largely aimed at a, you know, a, a more generalist audience, I thought those were sort of interesting appeals to make in this, in this, in this back sheet. Right, right. Well, part of it, I think, is is um, messaging around the, the number. So people will see 20% and it's a knee-jerk kind of, well, this is a seven percentage point increase from what we just um, passed back in 2017. So part of it is to kind of combat that, that narrative and say, in the comparison to the 80s is, you know, it's not as bad as it could be. <laughs> because we're, we're much higher then and then to compare it to pre-2017 it's kind of a being set forth as a remediation of, of some problems that that going down to 21 percent might have caused with regard to um the fisc you know yeah it's it, i think it's funny because there's it, both here and in, in the Wyden document that came out today, the Senate finance document today, there's a kind of, um, and, and who, who can blame them, right? It's politics. Right. Uh, but there's a kind of uh, uh, schizophrenia about the relevance of history, because on the one hand, mm -hmm. they're talking about this, well, look, this it's not 35%. Right. Right. So this isn't that bad of an increase, but also look at these terrible international provisions that are so bad when, and we'll talk about this in more detail. In many instances, the international provisions, even if you think they're flawed, uh, they do more to bring tax back, tax dollars back to the U.S. than the, the system that preceded it for decades. Right, right. There's there is no longer uh, deferral lockout. Um, so, yeah, we're moving in the right direction, I would say. Right. But um, right. yeah, they there is this is political as well. Of course, this is practical, of course. Um, so. I would expect nothing less than, than the appropriate messaging to go around uh, the numbers that they've put on some of these these rates. So one of the things I want to do with sort of the rest of what's in the Biden document, in the White House document, if you will, is, uh, you know, one of the things we prioritize here on tax break is discussing <laughs> complex tax topics in sort of plain and easy to understand language. But my goal with this Biden proposal is actually the inverse. I want to sort of take some of this ordinary colloquial politicized language and put it into the terms uh, that our tax listeners will understand. So, so I'm going to read you a few little snippets here from the Biden document, and then we can talk about what they're actually referring to, because they don't refer to particular code sections or even or even acronyms that describe particular regimes under the code. So right, right. Um, they don't, they don't want to, and they shouldn't. I mean, this is a broad-based messaging document. So right. Understand. So 
so the first the first one is it says right now the tax code rewards US multinational corporations that shift profits and jobs overseas with a tax exemption for the first 10% return on forest foreign assets and the rest is taxed at half the domestic rate. So what are they talking about here? So they they are talking <laughs> about guilty. Uh, the proposal put forth by the administration is the same as what uh, President Biden uh, previewed on the campaign trail. So eliminating QBI, um, doing a country by country calculation of the guilty inclusion and raising the rate. So in that in that blurb you just read, there was a reference to incentivizing um, offshoring of certain activity that has been, in my view, uh, mischaracterized. <laughs> the data has not borne out the assertion that that having an exemption of a certain percentage of your qualified business asset investment will encourage companies to to locate hard assets overseas. But that is their position. So the the response is to eliminate that that ten percent of the value of your tangible depreciable asset base as a tax free uh, return, tax free in the U.S. That is, um, and then. Um, doubling the rate on guilty. So right now the statutory rate of guilty is 10.5%. If you take into account the 80% foreign tax credit, that rate goes up to 13 and an eighth. Um, the administration is proposing a rate that is 75% of the domestic corporate rate. So 21% compared to 28%. So still somewhat of a benefit um, recognizing that I guess a tacit acknowledgement that there is going to be some, some, there are going to be operations overseas. So there's a bit of a of a tax um, break in terms of the rate differential, but not as not as uh, significant as what is currently available. Yeah, and and I mean we should. Uh, I, I think again, this is sort of let's let's contextualize, right? I mean, for for many years, corporations were able to operate offshore with and and defer their offshore income under you know with exceptions like subpart f right. um, there was still a regime that allowed deferral and guilty was seen as a step in the right direction in the sense that it was right from the sense of u.s taxpayers not not def not permanently deferring <laughs> income over overseas um, and so Guilty was, as sort of those of us in the transfer pricing fold would talk mm -hmm. about, I mean, guilty was meant to allow foreign companies with foreign operations to earn a routine return on those operations. And there are many U.S. taxpayers who have significant PP&E outside the U.S., and lots of them for very valid business reasons, uh, because they can't transport all of the goods that they manufacture from the U.S. to everywhere around the world or because it makes sense to co-locate manufacturing or production with other activities in home countries. Mm -hmm. And so this was seen as a, a kind of pricing mechanism, right? That, you know, 10% is about what you should be earning and then anything else are these sort of intangible returns and we and we can see this rhetorical shift here from the the focus in TCJA on intangibles and intangibles being what's driving the sort of offshoring of of revenue and and base erosion stripping now now we've sort of flipped and we're talking about tangibles and they're saying well no now this allows this 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 rewards you for offshoring tangibles and it's like well 
I mean, that, that seems to me not not quite the intent of of the provision. Right. No, that's right. I, you know, the the ten percent of your of your um, tangible depreciable asset base is exactly what what you describe. It's meant to approximate a routine return. Everything above that is is a supernormal return, and it is a proxy for intangible assets, whether they are there or not, whether they're owned abroad or in the U.S. There's there is the the assumption, the presumption that anything above that 10% routine return is attributable to an intangible asset. It is true that this proposal shifts from um, you looking at intangibles and and trying to gauge uh, where those returns are and how much of, of those returns are appropriately taxed in the U.S. if they're if they're generated abroad to a calculation about, you know, a tax-free amount of some sort. And the focus is on tax-free. And it, in my view, ignores the, the valid reason for having a routine return in a jurisdiction where you're operating. It understands also that, you know, you are going to be taxed wherever you are. Um, right. And as we've seen the evolution of guilty, there is a high tax exclusion uh, for certain amounts. So there's kind of built into the architecture, the understanding that um, guilty should and will only apply if you're not paying a certain level of, of tax where you're operating and you should be in, entitled to a routine return that's not subject to tax in the U.S. So the second one I want to sort of read to you and we, we can talk about is it says the 2017 tax law allows companies to use the taxes they pay in high tax countries to shield profits and tax havens, encouraging offshoring of jobs. So what's this a reference to? This is a reference to the uh, the blended approach of calculating your, your inclusion. So right now, um, once you've excluded your high tax jurisdictions, there is a blending of everything else that's left. Um, and so under the current rate, it's, it's 90% of, of the U.S. tax rate. So 18.9%. If you're not subject to that rate of tax and you're in the jurisdictions in which you operate overseas, you are... Um, allowed to kind of blend everything below 18.9. So it could be 18, it could be two, uh, all blended together. Uh, and the proposal is that there is no blending. So it's a country by country calculation for your guilty inclusion. Then there's a couple of provisions in here that talk about a minimum tax. So it says that, that, that Biden's plan will eliminate the rule that allows, uh, it says, eliminate the rule that allows U.S. companies to pay zero taxes on the first 10%, which again is the, the guilty piece that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And it will increase the minimum tax on U.S. corporations to 21% and calculate it on a country by country basis. So this this is meant to be the guilty, the guilty being calculated on a country by country basis. And then 75% of the 28% rate is 21 Right, right, right. So eliminating um, the Section 250 deduction, which dovetails nicely with their plan to repeal FIDI because they're both in the same code section. So you get rid of the 50% of um, deduction for, for 951 Cap A, and you get rid of the, um, the FIDI entirely, which is their proposal as well. They're also proposing a sort of this 
minimum tax, right? And this is, I, I take it that when they talk about minimum tax, there's a couple of different things in this proposal. One is the minimum tax that is effectively this 21% guilty rate. And then the other one is this 15% min tax on, uh, on book income, which isn't an international provision. That's a domestic provision, right? Or it's a or sort of a worldwide provision, I guess. I think it's I think it's worldwide, and this kind of goes to um, there was some press uh, last week with um, several companies that were profitable but didn't pay any corporate tax over the last three years, and the article acknowledges, and there are many reasons why this might be the case. Right now, we have 100% bonus depreciation, which really goes a long way to helping people um, reduce taxable income and some other incentives um, in the the tax code for domestic operations. So there are a lot of reasons why that might be the case. Be that as it may, the Biden administration is of the view that uh, corporations should be paying tax always. Um, and so looking at book income is a proxy for calculating that tax when a corporation may not have any taxable income. Um, and ostensibly, these two will not operate in tandem. It will be an either-or scenario. Right. right. Um, <laughs> but, it's but not a. Have... It's not. It's not a min tax of thirty-six percent worldwide and. <laughs> right. Right. Sounds and even. Sounds even like... high. <laughs> it sounds like, like nineteen eighty-six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Um, so. That's the idea that even if you don't have taxable income, there can still be some tax assessed based on on book income. And then there's this there's an overture towards a kind of uh, a regime that would look to whether the other country in which the U.S. corporation operates it itself has a strong minimum tax law. So it says the plan denies deductions to foreign corporations on payments that could allow them to strip profits out of the U.S. if they're based in a country that does not adopt a strong minimum tax. Right. So that's a reference to the beat. And this is really an articulation of exactly what the inclusive framework suggested the U.S. might consider in, in the Pillar 2 uh, blueprint that came out last year. And so there, um, recognizing that there was a concession with regard to guilty coexistence or guilty grandfathering, as it, as it used to be called, um, the inclusive framework recommended that beat, in fact, be turned off when there's an outbound deductible payment to a recipient, as you mentioned, in a jurisdiction with a compliant uh, income inclusion rule or, or minimum tax. The administration has proposed a repeal of the beat, which I don't think anybody is going to be upset about. Uh, um, and then, you know, in the instance that the, the recipient does not have a, a minimum tax jurisdiction, there's some kind of mechanism to turn off that deduction. Um, but as I understand it, it would not be under 59 cap A, so they would have to um, redraft something that would that would operate similarly to the beat um, in terms of denying the deduction, but maybe not as as complicated and burdensome as 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 the beat is. Uh, and the one the one provision that the White House proposal does call out by name is FIDI, mm. and it says that FIDI gave corporations a tax break for shifting assets abroad. Uh, I mean, I guess that's sort of a 
an interesting reading of of Fiddy. Um, I always thought that Fiddy was meant to <laughs> encourage companies to bring intangibles onshore, uh, not to uh, shift assets abroad. But uh, why 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 are they putting the spin on 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 Fiddy, and what and and is there is there any validity to it? I feel like Fiddy is a the, the perhaps one of the most misunderstood provisions in the code um you know their their argument qi is a concept that's in guilty but it's also in fitty and so um any complaints they have about about qi in general will operate um with respect to to both provisions i don't think that their their allegations are correct in the in the fitty context or in the in the guilty context, I was uh, teased lightly last week as being one of the last defenders of, of QI. So <laughs> you may not be talking to the right person. <laughs> but, you know, FIDI was really meant to equate the rates. So if you're going to serve the foreign market from the U.S. or if you're going to serve the foreign market from abroad, the rate should be the same. And that's what FIDI does. It gives you 13 and an eighth. Um, effective rate by operation of a deduction. Um, just this guilty, even though the statutory rate is 10 and a half, when you take into account the 80% foreign tax credit, it gets you to the same 13 and an eighth. Um, they are of the view that FIDI does not work to incentivize uh, domestic um, activity or bring as much innovation or they, they prize R&D investment more than uh, what FIDI is trying to do. And so the repeal is suggested and then in replacing FIDI with unspecified, we don't know what they are, R&D incentives, the administration feels that they can better kind of spur investment and growth uh, domestically. There are a couple other, I don't want to go into these, but there's a couple other provisions about eliminating special preferences for um, the oil and gas industry or fossil fuels. Um, there's a uh, there's a provision about ramping up enforcement against corporations with the acknowledgement that the IRS has been underfunded for, for some time. But the last thing I wanted to just bring up with you in the, in the Biden proposal is this notion that, that uh, they're going to do more to make it harder for U.S. corporations to invert, and I I I, I feel like we we went through this uh, however many years ago, five or six years ago, with some right. there were some anti-inversion regs, yes, yep. and w so what's the are they are they sort of scaring up ghosts here a little bit, or or is inversion still still sort of a real enemy of a of an equitable international tax. Plan. I think it's um, more of a relic than a, than a real threat today. Um, you know, with a, a lower tax rate and reduced abilities to earning strip out of the U.S., I'm not sure that uh, inversions, at least since TCJA, are particularly um, popular or attractive. Um, I don't really, we haven't seen what these these inversion um, inhibiting or um, disincentivizing provisions would look like. You know, we still have the 7874 regs. There are um, provisions that 
kind of make it more difficult. You know, they're they're proposing re- repealing the beat, but there are penalties kind of baked into the beat for inverted companies. Um, so you know, we'll have to see what it looks like, but um, I don't know. Certainly, with the higher rate, they might become more attractive. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's kind of counterintuitive, but I don't. I don't think that that they're the 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 threat that that the administration is making them out to be. And certainly, um, we haven't heard any news of any companies of big inversions. Yes. That's right. That's right. And around the time of those anti-inversion rigs, I mean, there were several that several major multinational deals that were pending or being held up by right. by those rigs. Right. Um, okay. Well, let's let's flip over to the 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 Wyden document or the Senate Finance document overhauling international taxation. Obviously, this is focused purely on on international stuff. I think it's fair to say that there's a little bit more. Uh, colorful or invective language in the, in the Senate Finance <laughs> document, um, and some of the same, and doubling down on some of the same um, contextualization or or <laughs> de- context- of the <laughs> de- decontextualization of what. So I mean, it, right off the bat, right, they come out hot and say, "Guilty gave big corporations a huge reduction." In the U.S. tax rate on foreign earnings, and created incentives to offshore jobs. I mean, again, you know, this seems to me slightly misleading, given that for many corporations for many years, the the U.S. tax rate on foreign earnings was zero <laughs> because they didn't repatriate them. <laughs> Unless so, you had subpart F, you were you were doing all right. You were doing all right, and 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 whatever whatever guilty lays down, whether it's thirteen and an eighth or whatever, that's more than zero. Um, so uh, and and it you know then it goes on and makes the same assertion that that the White House said about you know giving multinational corporations the ability to earn tax-free income by putting tangible assets abroad. I mean, you know, again. Yeah, no, not no, clear, no, no taxpayer I've heard of has has really. Um, been jumping up and down about the prospect of paying a reduced rate on guilty, uh, as opposed to domestic um, tax rates. It's not. A, I would not characterize it as a giveaway, and I have not heard of anyone, um, you know, building a new factory overseas instead of in the U.S. to take advantage of a 10% exemption on your your QI. Right. Um, it's right. just. But this is a political document, almost. Right. Of course, more, more than it is a policy document, and so um, I'm not surprised to to hear it characterized that way. Um, it, and then the, the Senate Finance Committee talks about the the guilty rate, and they kind of uh, punt a little bit on what the rate should be. So we know that Biden is at 75 percent, and they 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 suggest this possibility of what they. I think they admit effectuating a fully worldwide international tax system, which you know would be sort of the <laughs> territoriality, right? That. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, and and that would be that that would that's what would happen if you equalized the guilty rate and eliminated the ten percent routine return. Right. If you equalize the guilty rate with the U.S. rate, it would just be worldwide taxation on income. It would. Uh, it yeah. would be. They they do equivocate. They they mentioned prior Democratic proposals ranged 
from 60 to 100 percent of the yeah. of the corporate rate um and so we'll have to see i think they're giving themselves a little wiggle room um you know it's, it's interesting to watch or to see the the where these proposals dovetail and where they diverge and the administration has its goals and its plans and then congress kind of deals with what's possible so they know that they've got a the slimmest of slim majorities they know that within the democratic caucus there are various priorities um and so it's interesting to see the spin from from the senate point of view which is we know we got to get folks on board and, and we're just going to keep our powder dry on some of these numbers. They don't even, they don't talk about the corporate rate. They don't talk no. about the guilty rate. Um, right. th they're not, they talk about a, we'll get to the beat, but a higher than 10% rate, but no real number other than more than 10% for base erosion payments. So that shows kind of the fluidity of um, the discussions on the Hill, the negotiations, keeping in mind administration's priorities they're a little bit constrained by what's what's feasible. So a willingness to play ball, if you will. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're certainly willing. I mean, they're not gonna come out with something that's 180 degrees from what, what the administration has proposed, but yeah. Uh, so they, they also adopt this sort of country by country proposal with, with guilty. So that looks like that has some, some traction, at least between Senate finance and and President Biden, and they reference the, the foreign tax credit system as the way in which that is effectuated. Um, they but, do, but, but, they, <laughs> but, but they're yeah. softer. They're softer than um, than President Biden's um, proposal in that they, they acknowledge and even endorse the high tax exclusion uh, for guilty that's in the regulations. And they say, okay, well, once we kick all that out, we can separate, you know, first we can separate your, your operations between low tax and high tax jurisdictions based on this, this high tax exclusion concept. We'll kick out all the high tax ones and then we'll look at low tax jurisdictions and, and your guilty inclusion. So, um, you know. <laughs> so rather than, so rather than ending up with a 200 and whatever basket foreign tax credit system, <laughs> they signal a willingness to go to like maybe a two basket system. <laughs> two baskets plus the other baskets that we have. So we've had, we've had more baskets before than we have today. So we have, you know, baskets <laughs> contract. It's like, you know, the big Easter egg hunt or it's a little Easter egg hunt. How many baskets do we need? <laughs> um, they, uh, and it's funny, there's this line here about which sort of throws shade in a, in a funny way, right? It's ironically, you remember this line? Ironically, the Trump know. Treasury Department already provided all the necessary operational details as part of their regulations, creating an elective high tax exclusion for guilty. So, haha, we're going to change guilty, but we're going to use your uh, system to do it. I, yes. I, they, they said I ironically. I mean, I, if I were at, at Treasury, I might my feelings might be a little bit hurt. It's like right? it wasn't really by accident that this that these regs came to light. Um, right. There was a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of work that went into them. But you know, ironically, it just so happens that uh, <laughs> there's a mechanism here that dovetails with what we want to do. I wanted to ask you about one one line in here. It, it says that. Um, 
the guilt, the interaction of guilty with the foreign tax credit regime can create perverse incentives. And it says a prime example, taxes owed under guilt under guilty increase when a corporation invests in research and development in the U.S. or expands a U.S. headquarters office. Can you just, for the listeners, explain why, why are they even saying that that mechanism exists? Well, they're talking about um, um, expense allocation and apportionment for foreign tax credit purposes. And so um, the way that the rules work, any expense that you have to allocate to the guilty basket will drive down your income in the guilty basket over worldwide income. So when you're calculating your 904 um, limitation, any dollar of expense that you have to allocate to the guilty basket will reduce your um, your foreign tax credit availability. And so- um, And thus and thus act like a penalty right. on, on US expenditures. Right, and, and depending on the expense and for the ones they mentioned, this is true, um, some of the domestic spend will have to be allocated X US, and so it will impact your guilty balance. So then they turn and talk about FITI a little bit, and um, it it's <laughs> it suggests, there's a line in here, if FITI retains an offshoring incentive and cannot drive valuable investment in the U.S., then it will never be a sustainable provision and it is almost certainly not worth keeping. That's it's clear. <laughs> the executioner <laughs> sharpening sharpening his sword um, <laughs> for that one. Uh, but again, right, I mean, this is, you know, this it's this inversion of the notion that, you know, FIDI was on its face meant to be a sort of a an incentive to keep intangibles onshore, not an incentive to move tangibles offshore. <laughs> right, right, right. And so I think, um, I mean, they are not quite as bullish on FITI repeal as the administration. And they say, well, you know, there there are some ways that we could we could maybe make it work. And they've got this, you know, what do they call it? Uh, yeah, so that's the... DII, but it's not it's not intangibles, it's innovation. It's innovation. Yes. Innovation income. Innovation. So we'll just swap out the I and that yes. will make all the difference. And that way, you know, we can keep the, the statute. We'll just change we'll keep the um, acronyms, we'll just change the words. Um, but there's not a lot of they, they mention um, R and D expenditures and worker training as is potentially acceptable expenses that would that would fall into this um into this dii new dii concept but um you know there's a lot of work that needs to be done around that if they can figure out a way to to retain it otherwise you're right they say if we can't do it then it has to go so right right they do come out strongly in favor of equalizing the fitty and guilty rates which uh, which you know presumably which is news to me because I thought they were equalized. <laughs> but hey, um, the statutory rate it is true on guilty is two and a half, but they are disregarding the fact that there's an eighty percent foreign tax credit, so that makes that rate thirteen and an eighth, which is the same rate as fifty. And why would they? Well, like what? Why gloss over that? I don't know, Steve. Finer detail. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 like we said, this is somewhat of a, a political document, and it, it, it goes with the narrative that 
um, you know, the, operating the overseas is just a complete and total, total giveaway. You know, this, this significantly reduced rate on income generated from serving the foreign market from abroad is, is a, is a corporate giveaway. Let's turn, let's turn last to the, to the beat. You're mm-hmm. one of your favorites, the beat. Um, <laughs> There's some discussion here about how the beat can be more focused on actual base eroders through the use of a second rate bracket. So what 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 is that idea, or what are the what's this? What, is this? what are the seeds of that this, idea? This mysterious second rate. So the beat is uh, modeled after A and T. So everything once you kind of tip over this threshold, it just means that everything is assessed at a ten percent flat rate, ten percent on everything. Once you've made all your adjustments for preference items, so on and so forth, if you've gotten over the 3% threshold, 10%. Their proposal is to separate out your regular taxable income. Uh, Once you tip over this threshold, regular taxable income would be taxed at 10%. And then your base erosion payments would be taxed at something higher than 10%. Um, And so you don't get to lump everything together and assess the um, minimum tax based on this single universe, one tax rate. It would create two universes, two tax rates. Thus targeting the base erosion payments as as sort of with a higher rate to make it, to to discourage them more strongly. Right, so the the beat now, you know, you can think about the the, um, base erosion payments as kind of a tipping point. Once you get past that, then everything is assessed, 10% of on gross. Ostensibly, they would keep the gross, um, and just the rates would change. Right. And then, and one last uh, sort of thing that I I wanted to point out, and this is the kind of thing that shows that this is a political document. You'd never write this kind of thing in a brief because it would be thrown right back in your face. Um, <laughs> but, Luckily, we're not going to court. <laughs> yeah, but they but they were. <laughs> it's just pure, pure, pure advocacy here. The beat was not just a policy to target base erosion and domestic investment. It was also an offset used to help Republicans slash corporate taxes by more than 1.3 trillion. Uh, yeah, that's sort of what. Just like, just like all of the international provisions in here are meant to fund the infrastructure bill that they're expressly coupled with. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the, at least the, the the Biden plan is clear that you know when they get into the tax these are pay. discussion, they're, they're like, hey, this is going to fuel. These the, are pay fors. Yeah. <laughs> the expenditures. This is going to pay for the expenditures that we've just spent the prior twenty four pages outlining. Um, and really, the corporate rate plus the guilty modifications that um, that the uh, administration has proposed, at least, will pay for almost, I would say, more than half, more than half, for sure. Um, the infrastructure maybe, cost. Maybe, maybe 75%. We'll see. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The proxy, like the rule of thumb is 100, 100 billion for every percentage point of the corporate rate. Um, okay is raised or, or lost depending on which way the rate's going um and then the guilty modifications would probably raise another seven or so so 1.4 roughly 1.3 1.2 great well uh 
thanks. I think that was a quick, uh, a good, quick coverage of of what's what what we're watching. And oh we'll yeah, see how these... this is this is just beginning. Like, we'll, it's just we'll, beginning. We'll see where where everything goes. I, the real test is turning ideas into legislative text. Um, and, and, harder harder and, than some people might think. <laughs> and getting something done before midterms. Oh yeah. <laughs> we yeah. do have a hard deadline coming, right? So that's right. Um, yeah, we'll see how things unfold, but this, it, it will be an interesting year in the international space. For sure. Great. Well, thanks. Uh, as always, if you have podcast ideas or want to reach out to us for any reason, feel free to shoot us an email at podcasts at milchev.com. That's podcasts, plural, at M-I-L-C-H-E-V.com. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Steve.